you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan Miller, and yes, you can do a complete overhaul. You know, I'm an old car guy. I always enjoy cars. And um, so looking at our careers in the same way, you just may need a tune-up. I asked somebody yesterday, he was talking to me about needing new direction in his career. And uh, he's a performance racer, car guy. I said, man, have you tried new spark plugs in your own life? Well, it was a great image for him to understand. He may not need a new engine. He just needs to do a tune-up on what he's already got to increase the performance. So a lot of times what we see is exactly that. So you may need a, a tune-up, some new par- spark plugs, just points, plugs, a cleanup. You may need a new transmission or transmission overhaul. You may, in fact, need a new engine. So um, we're going to be looking at some of the options you can use in your career to do those kind of transitions. This is Dan Miller, where we take each week, we unpack some of the questions that you all submit, the listeners, Real life questions, not just things we dream up in a cubicle somewhere. Real life questions. Here's some of the things we'll be addressing today. Dan, do you think partnering with a trust person to start a coaching business is a good idea? When does a wide variety of interest and the desire to do them well become a liability? Dan, after being a stay-at-home dad for the last five years, my wife and I are disagreeing about how I should return to work. Dan, I'm heartbroken with the challenge of relocating back home to Pennsylvania due to health issues with my mother. I'm building my new coaching business, and now I've been asked to be a deacon at my church. Should I add that responsibility? I'm 36 years old, and I've been unemployed for five years. I think I need another degree. Well, those are all things we're going to be looking at, how we can unpack this kind of volatility in a workplace that we've got, but how we can take advantage of change rather than feeling victimized by that. Well, that ties into our quotation for the day that comes from Jack Welch, who says, change before you have to. Now, we could spend a whole day just talking about that particular quotation there. Five words, change before you have to. Well, there's a lot to be said for that. A lot of people who feel stuck, who feel victimized, never took the initiative to stay on top of things and see the direction that things were moving in. They just simply waited, hoping that things would never change. Well, change is inevitable. It's relentless. It's going to happen. So we better be prepared for it. Decide in advance how we're going to respond to it. But I think it's pretty good advice. Change before you have to. If you take the initiative, then you can stay on the leading edge of these new opportunities rather than always playing catch up. Let's go right to the questions. I'm going to integrate some other things that are happening. This whole idea of how you find work today is changing. Now, a lot of what we deal with here on 48 Days Online Radio are work applications that are really more entrepreneurial. They're not just the old model of polishing a resume and going to get a job, but I know a lot of you are still dealing with that. So we've got some questions today that address that as well. And I'm going to describe to you why Resumes are really a thing of the past. Resumes are becoming dinosaurs, but I'll tell you what is taking its place and how you can make yourself a top contender for whatever it is you're wanting to move toward. Scott from um, Arkansas says, Dan, thanks for everything you do. Uh, My question is this. Do you think partnering with a trusted person to start a coaching business is a good idea? 
everything I've read and heard about coaching, including yourself, says that this is a one-person operation. I can think of many advantages of forming a coaching business partnership, but are there any red flags or major disadvantages other than having to share the income that you can think of that would cause you not to do it? Is flying solo the best business model for providing coaching services? Your thoughts would be greatly appreciated. Scott, well, Scott, good question. I mean, we work with a lot of people who are starting coaching practices. Now, let me just kind of preface this by saying we partner, and I use that term loosely here. Stay with me on this. We partner with a lot of people in the coaching business that we have here at 48 Days. I mean, we offer the Coaching with Excellence live two-day event here to show coaches how to position themselves and make money. Uh, We refer to coaches, requests that come in. We refer to competent coaches and then get referral fees. We list coaches on our website, get ad revenue from that. If you want to be listed as as on the 48 Days website as a coach, just let us know. We'll put you on there. We get revenue from that. We promote coaching books and get affiliate income from those. So there are a lot of ways that we partner with other coaches in our business. But from a legal organizational perspective, we partner with no one. That's totally different. I mean, no two coaches are going to be interchangeable. And if you think that you can just partner with somebody and just split the revenue 50-50, one of you is going to be unhappy before the day ends. I mean, that's how quickly those things go south because one person will inevitably feel like they're putting more into the business than the other one, or they're getting better, better results, or you're moving in different directions in terms of your coaching focus. I mean, no, I would never recommend doing that. I've had other coaches involved in our coaching practice over the years. I mean, I've had PhDs and counseling psychology and other various um, specific backgrounds with people. It's never worked well. I tend to be very direct, very blunt, very action oriented. And I've had some really competent people involved. And then I refer, you know, coaching requests to them. And geez, after three sessions, you know, the client comes out and says, well, geez, Dan, you know, what am I supposed to do? He's a good listener, but he's never not telling me what I need to do. And I know that that's what you do. Well, again, not to be arrogant or egotistical about it, but I think you develop a very unique individualistic coaching style that ought to be part of your brand. That ought to be part of what you're known for. You aren't just offering generic coaching services where everybody gets the same kind of uh, system superimposed on that. That's not the way coaching works. It's very individualized. So no, I would not recommend even working with a trusted partner. Now you can share business You can share offices, but again, that's different than being a legal partner. That's the one thing I would not do. Michelle from Georgia says, Dan, please give your thoughts on my idea for coaching. Another coaching question. I would love to be able to coach retiring professional athletes in their transition from professional sports to the next phase of their lives. However, this is inherently limited in scope. So I thought I could eventually expand it and coach anyone finding themselves in a time of transition for whatever the reason, the transitioning being my niche. But do I begin this focused on the athletes and then expand to others? Or do I begin in the broader sense of transitions and then focus separately on athletes? Does this even sound like a viable coaching business that I can make a good living doing? Thanks for your time. And uh, just don't mention my city. Okay. Yes, this is absolutely a viable coaching for your focus for your coaching. And yes, I would recommend that you coach anyone going through transitions initially and then more and more narrow down your focus 
to work with athletes. Now, when you say you want to coach people going through transitions, I mean, any kind of coaching is taking somebody through a transition. If you're a health coach, you're going to help somebody through a transition, poor eating habits to better eating habits. So you seem to be referring to career transitions here, and that that's very legitimate. A lot of my work in coaching has been done with people who, in fact, are looking for transitions. And for you to work with professional athletes, my gosh, yes. I mean, we've got thousands of these young kids who are in their mid-30s, and they really are needing to look at, okay, what are they going to do beyond being a professional athlete? A lot of them peak in their career at 35, 36 years old. I mean, she's like a Peyton Manning. I mean, he's 36 years old. I, mean, I, I, I would like to coach Peyton Manning. I'm not sure I would encourage him to get back in the game. I mean, he's on top of the heap in terms of his career at this point. A bazillionaire, I'm sure, could do anything that he wants to do in terms of management, going into business. I mean, anything, he could write a book. I mean, he could do anything and make millions more and put himself back out on the field where one good hit could change the course of his life physically. Well, I'm not even sure I would encourage that if he were my son or my coaching client. But then again, he makes his own decisions and um, sounds like he's made one to go with the Broncos. Well, maybe you could coach Tim Tebow. I mean, there's a guy who's looking for a transition, apparently, at a very early age in his career. But, yeah, what you're talking about is very, very good area of focus. There are a lot of athletes who come out of their careers, oftentimes wounded, injured, literally, and not knowing what they're going to do. And a lot of them make very poor decisions about using the money that they had access to. The money's all gone before they ever leave the field. Yeah, that'd be a great focus for your coaching. And I think that's a legitimate way to position yourself. Let me know how that goes. I mean, I I really do. I like that a lot. Bobby from Ohio says, my dream job is to be a foreign exchange currency trader. Aside from the risk, this is a role that gets me excited every day. I've tested and retested my own trading plan over many years with good results in a practice account, no real money. My current employer has a strict policy of not allowing excessive trading of securities, no more than 60 trades per quarter for all employees. After talking with my company's HR department about this policy, the only way around it is to leave the company. How do I perform a job search for a day job that I'm really just looking for a steady steady paycheck while allowing me to grow my trading business until I can do this full time while supporting my family? What rocks have I either missed or forgotten to uncover to help me obtain my dream job as a trader? Well, it sounds like you're already working for some kind of a brokerage house, Bobby. But if you believe that your system and what you're proposing to do, you know, is really where you're going, then I think you ought to be able to provide the income you need in a pretty short period of time. I mean, if you can't see it providing significant income in 90 to 180 days, that's three to six months, uh, then I question whether it really has the draw that it ought to have in being ultimately a full-time thing. I mean, that's the kind of time frame I would look at. If you are contemplating, I mean, I think you're, I think you're complicating the transition to doing this on your own by suggesting that you need another job. Now, that's possible. Certainly, you can go to Home Depot and get a job where it's not something that's going to tax your brain. Uh, They pay you for just being there, taking care of customers or stocking boxes, whatever it is, happens to be. 
I mean, you can do that, but I think it just slows down the process. If this is something you really believe in, uh, then I would encourage you to go ahead and jump in and be committed to making it work in three to six months. Now, I haven't done anything to address what you said right off the bat, aside from the risk. I mean, I think being a foreign exchange currency trader is extremely speculative and extremely risky because there's a whole lot of things you don't have control over. Now, I understand you can learn the systems and watch trends and all that, but the bottom line, man, I mean, you, you there are people that go to Vegas and play the slot machines who may at the end of the day do as well as a currency foreign exchange currency trader. We were just in Belize a couple weeks ago and the exchange rate there is exactly two to one. So if something on the menu is $6, we, we paid $3 in American dollars for it. It was easy to calculate, but again, those things fluctuate and to just make your living based on the speculation. Uh, you, you better understand it a whole lot better than the most, than most people do to make that your primary focus. Well, you're listening to Dan Miller and the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Each week, we take real questions, break them down, respond to things that hopefully will help all of us as listeners and people who are engaged in this process of work, whether it's a traditional job or something more non-traditional and creative, like having your own business. Either way, we want questions that will help us all understand how to do that better. If you've got a question, just go to 48days.com, click on the podcast link, and you'll see a little place there where you can submit a question. I'd be happy to entertain that as an, for inclusion in an upcoming show. This comes from Cliff. Dan, I have specific training that my company that I'm currently working for has paid big money for me to do, uh, just as part of my J-O-B. Can I leverage that training that my company has paid for to start my own business on the side? For example, training seminars and material. Thank you so much. Um, he says, I recently attended your Coaching with Excellence event. Yeah, glad to have you here. Now, here, here are the issues in what you're talking about. A company sent you to training. They paid for your training. Now you're a candidate to do some of that same training on your own. Yeah, that's a very reasonable thing to do and has been done millions of times over. Nothing wrong with that at all. There are companies that have non-competes that prevent you from doing that. I mean, companies realize that when we're working with as knowledge workers, rather than production workers, we have very portable skills. I mean, if you are working in a factory of mine, so you're putting together parts and when you walk out at the end of the day, I keep the means of production in my facility. But if you are a stock trader or you're a financial analyst or you're a graphic designer or a computer programmer, when you leave at the end of the day, you take your means of production home with you because they're between your own two ears. So a lot of companies are concerned about people being too mobile and investing in them in training programs. So check to make sure that you don't have a non-compete. Now what more commonly happens Rather than a non-compete where a company is saying you can't leave the company and go do the same kind of work somewhere else for two years in a 30-mile radius. That would, be, that would be an example of a non-compete. What more commonly happens is that when a company trains you, I mean, they know they're making you a more valuable and more marketable person. Uh, that training may make you a better candidate to transition into doing even your own work in that very field. So a lot of companies have an agreement whereby if you leave in a certain period of time, you'd be required to repay a part of that training cost. 
So if they sent you to a training program and it's $20,000, they may say, if you leave within four years, we're going to amortize that over four years. That would be $5,000 a year. So if you leave after two years, you're going to have to repay us $10,000. That's more commonly the kind of things that companies are doing to help protect themselves from investing in people where they're paying big training fees. But uh, aside from that, sure, you can take training. I mean, I used to have, I remember specifically an example of a young guy coming to me who had worked for me for about three years. And in that period of time, I had sent him to a lot of training things. And then he got a job offer and it was really a spectacular job offer from another company. And he came to me and said, you know, I feel like I ought to at least tell you about this. This happened now, you know, I'm not going to go because uh, you're the one that made me the kind of person I am today. You know, you believed in me, you sent me to training, you know, you made me more marketable. So I know I am, but I'm going to stay here just out of a sense of loyalty to you. And my response was, are you crazy? (laughs) If, if you really have this opportunity, I'm not going to keep you here. I'm not going to hold you back from advancing in your own career. Well, he was kind of blown away that my response was like that, but I encouraged him. I thought it was a great opportunity. He did take it. And it in fact did. I mean, I think he like doubled and tripled his income. I mean, I I would be small minded as an employer or as a boss or as a friend to try to keep him there just because I had invested in him over that period of time. I had gotten a return on my investment. He had produced a lot more for me while he was working for me, but how he went with my blessings for sure. Well, Chris from Knoxville says, Dan, when does a wide variety of interest and the desire to do them well become a liability? The social and creative side of me wants to try new businesses, hobbies, social opportunities, but the perfectionist side of me wants to do things well or not at all. I'm left with fingers in about a dozen pies, causing my hands to be tied when new opportunities come around under the pretense that by taking a new opportunity, my investment with existing interest will suffer. Do you have any tips for directing the investment of my limited time and resources? Love the podcast. Listen to it every week doing work that I love at a company. I don't. Ah, that's a great line. I, I listen, to, uh, listen to your podcast every week doing work that I love at a company. I don't. That's a great framing there. Well, how do you take a wide variety of interest and use those well? Recognize the wide variety of interest and abilities and desires puts money in nobody's pocket. It's only when you take an idea and your desire and ability and put a plan of action together that it changes anybody's future, including your own. So, it's really pretty meaningless just to have lots of ideas and desires. That's a great starting point. I mean, that's a wonderful starting point, much better than not having anything to work with. But what I would say is make your future a process based on your tendency toward perfection. Just turn this process into a system rather than just something nebulous. Allow yourself 30 days to make a list of a lot of ideas. Then filter those ideas through what you know about yourself. Narrow down to the best four or five ideas. In a two-week period, do a little bit more research, then choose the best one and one where you're going to focus your energy for the next year without looking back. So just make it a process. Just make this a mathematical calculation if you want. So as a perfectionist, you can go through the process. Okay, 30 days, get lots of ideas. You know, two weeks, 
boom, you narrow down, do a little research, choose the best one. Now you notice there, I'm still keeping it pretty much in the 48 days time frame. If you go beyond that, you can kind of get mixed up and well, I got lots of ideas. Someday you get caught up in the someday syndrome. Someday I'm going to do something differently. Someday I'm going to act on one of these ideas. You don't want to do that. You want to be a person of action, even if you tend toward perfection and ideas are not like that. I mean, we can't know exactly what's going to happen when we approach a new idea. We have to be flexible. We have to know that there are going to be unforeseen things there, but that's, that always is true of things that have big potential. If you want to limit yourself, just do things that are clearly understandable, clearly predictable. I mean, you, you'll uh, have a very predictable life, but a very limited life in doing that. Tyler from Honolulu says, my wife and I are having a disagreement about how I should apply for work. I've been a stay-at-home dad for the last five years and also returned to school and graduated with an AS degree for me to work in the physical therapy assistant profession, which requires board certification. I'm needing to find work as quickly as possible because we relocated to Honolulu from New Mexico to help care for my mother-in-law who had cancer. She recently passed away unexpectedly. My wife is advising me to just get temporary work, even if the pay is minimum wage. Then apply for high and paid jobs later. I feel I should apply for high and paid jobs now. Do you think my being out of the workforce is hurting my resume? Should I include clinicals, unpaid time like internships to help compensate for this? Well, Tyler, you, you threw in a whole lot of variables here, a whole lot of dynamics into your question and I thank you for sharing openly on this what you're talking about though has a whole lot to do with your marriage as well as your career your income I mean there are a lot of variables in here what I would what I would say is this if you're in school even part of those last five years that helps to cover being out of the workplace you know you don't want your resume just to be blank for the last five years you ought to list in there things that you were doing that had to do with study or volunteering, you know, whatever it was you were actually doing there. Now, you know, I'm going to recommend 48 days process to find a job in your field. I mean, the opportunities when you say it may take longer is what you're implying. It may take longer to find the right job. I don't really buy that. Uh, the job opportunities 49 days from now are not going to be any different than they are in the next 48 days. Or six months from now, they aren't going to be different. The challenge is being aggressive enough in the job search to find something that fits you now. Now, getting a temporary job just to start getting some income will slow down the process of ultimately getting where you need to be. So my, my answer is really two-part answer. And that is begin with a 48 days job search. That should be enough time to find exactly what you're looking for. However, if three months pass and you're still looking for the perfect job, then I'm going to go with your wife's side. Just get something to get in the game, even if it's not a good fit for you. So a lot of it has to do here with the timeline. And I worked with a gentleman recently who's in the music industry. Well, he'd been without work for a very long time. And he, his rationale was, I'm a musician. You know, I'm looking, just haven't found the right thing. And I said, that's fine. You know, your marriage is going to blow up. You know, your house is going to be foreclosed. We don't have the luxury of just hoping that it works sometime. I said, I'm giving you 30 days. If you in 30 days, you go out and knock on 
the door of 40 little clubs, restaurants out here, you can get opportunities to play at night. If you put enough of those together to make the mortgage payment and significant money beyond that, then fine. I'm cool with that. You're a musician. Do that, but do something to get in the game. Don't just be hoping for that next big hit song like you had 20 years ago. Well, we went through that process. He didn't get out there and look for anything. And I said, okay, you know, your margin for finding your perfect position as a musician is over, dude. You need to go to Home Depot and get a job. And that's exactly what he did. Went to Home Depot. Yeah, they're hiring. That's not his dream job. He hates it. But at least he got in the game and maybe it'll increase the incentive for finding something that is musically related. But you're, when you have a particular focus like this, like um, physical therapy assistant, yeah, you, that, that's fine. Just get out there and find something that fits that. But don't rationalize spending six months on a couch because you haven't found the right position. Mike says um, Dan love the podcast I've been trying to make the next jump in my career armed with your 48 days book I've just received another rejection with the reason that I wasn't transparent because I withheld my salary history I attempted to follow your negotiation advice am I being too insensitive by just ignoring that blank in the application and entering NA or not not applicable I feel I'm on the cusp of a big advance in my career. I'm creative and technically solid in the combined fields of design, programming, and production of web media. I have over 15 years of agency experience. I'm afraid I'm missing something for that big advancement to a senior manager or leader type role. Why am I still treated as a grunt or a thing maker rather than a creative lead? Well, again, you got a lot of questions in there. Let me just take it kind of specifically if you're having to fill in the blanks on a job application where it comes to that you know what is your current salary what's the salary range you're looking for if you are having to fill out those kind of applications you're not using the 48 day system in the 48 in 48 days to the working love i tell you to identify 30 to 40 companies or organizations where there would be a good fit for you contact them with their three-step process now, in doing that and taking that kind of initiative, you're going to bypass the traditional process of filling out job applications. You want an opportunity to make yourself remarkable, make a company see you as someone they want on their team. Then you'll have the opportunity to discuss compensation from a clean slate. Now, I want to just throw in here because it relates to it. This whole job search thing is changing. As we speak, here, I'm recording this on March the 21st, my blog for today, and you can look this one up if you want more information on it. My blog for today, March 21st, 2012, is Can I See Your Resume? I'm Making Paper, paper Airplanes. And then I go on, yeah, it's almost that bad. A resume just doesn't have the value that it once had. I mean, there are a lot of companies that are saying, hey, I don't care about your resume. They're going to Google you and see what shows up. Wow. You say, well, that's not fair. You know, I, I don't have anything going on there, but I got this great looking resume. Well, and it doesn't mean that you have to just be some Facebook, Twitter whiz out here, but you better be creating a presence for who you are and what you're all about. And if all you have is just a resume, you're going to have a hard time competing in today's environment. There are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, Google hired 7,000 people last year after receiving over 2 million 
resumes. I mean, a lot of companies today don't want your resume. Unfortunately, because of legal issues, they're required to keep your application for two years, even if they never interview you. You know, so just the physical storage, how do you store 2 million resumes? Can you imagine dealing with that? In Procter & Gamble last year had over a million applications for the 2,000 new positions they had. Starbucks had 7.6 million job applicants over the last 12 months. Resumes are not what they used to be. You need to be able to show what it is that you're doing. It's funny, the guy at Google who does, he's the director of staffing there. They do get a lot of resumes. I already told you they got, what, um, 2 million resumes last year. When he looks at a resume, he starts at the bottom. I thought, that's pretty cool. Reads from the bottom up on a resume. He says, candidates, early work experience, hobbies, extracurricular activities, or nonprofit involvement, such as painting houses to pay for college or touring with a punk rock band through Europe, often provide insight into how well an applicant would fit into the company culture. It's amazing what companies are looking for these days outside of just where did you go to school? What kind of a degree that you did you get? I mean, look at how rapidly the workplace is changing. If you got a degree in computer programming five years ago, how much leverage is that going to have with a company hiring you today? They're going to want to look at what have you done in the last two years? What have you done to stay in the game? What have you done to understand the way things are changing? So make sure that you are connected out there. Now, I, I recommended some things in this blog that you can do if you really are going to look for a traditional job. But e even there, you know, I said at least create a LinkedIn profile, write a blog. I mean, you can get involved in 48days.net and there's no cost of being a member of that group. We're now over 11,000 people there. You can write a blog. That blog, blog is going to be instantly Google sensitive, meaning you search for your name and you're going to see that you just wrote a blog five minutes ago. I mean, that's how quickly you can create an online presence. So there's really no excuse for not doing that. I mean, I'm a member of other social networking groups in addition to 48days.net, things like Tribes and Biznick and Ransomed Heart. Um, you, you can't just ignore those things. You can't just use the excuse. Well, you know, that's what the younger kids do. Now in today's environment to be a player, you need to be involved as well. You need to be in the game and letting people know that you have a personality that goes beyond just performing duties in the company that you're currently working for. Well, you're listening to Dan Miller on 48 Days Online Radio. Each week, we take real questions from you, the listeners, unpack those, share in a way that helps all of us learn how to be better in what we're doing. Whether we're employees, consultants, contingency workers, independent contractors, temps, entrepreneurs, whatever it is we want to call ourselves, the questions relate across the board. Success is very transferable, you know? I mean, success is not something that... Uh, you just, if, if you are interested in real estate, you simply learn about real estate. No, if you're successful in real estate, you've learned success principles that'll make you successful if you go into an entirely different industry. 
I mean, that's how success works. So look for those success principles in what you're doing now, even if you're in an industry or a job that you know you don't want to continue. There's still things to be learned there that'll transition you into where you're going. Ryan from Nebraska says, Dan, what's your opinion on starting a rental business? For example, party type things, cotton candy, snow cones, jumping castles. Well, I, I love a lot of things about the rental business. I mean, motorcycle trailers. I, I Years ago, I had motorcycle trailers. This was the, when I was in California. And I had a, a retail used car lot with a friend, and we had motorhomes for rent. Well, people who rent a motorhome started asking about, gee, I want you know a trailer to take my motorcycles with me. Well, I bought three or four trailers, and as I recall, I paid like $450 for them. And then we rent them out for like $35 a day. I mean, my gosh, that means you got a total payback in less than two weeks. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, the rental business is an amazing return on investment, amazing cash flow business. Now, there are some things that I don't like about it in the way that you've described it here because you're going to have geographic limitations. You're going to have about a five-mile radius of prospects that you can deliver to and work with. So you better be in a great location. Those things are very restrictive in my mind in terms of a business that I would be attracted to. I like to have a business where I can have an online presence and have people on the other side of the world be customers of mine, not be limited to just in my geographic little town where I am. So those are the things that I don't like. But in general, yeah, you know, there are a lot of things about the rental business that I think make a lot of sense. You have the same inventory and you get paid again and again and again on the same inventory. Yeah, it has a lot of advantages. Cool idea. This comes from Heather. Heather says, Dan, I'm faced with the challenge of relocating back home to Pennsylvania from Florida due to health issues with my mother. I'm heartbroken because I really love the work I'm doing and the company I'm doing it for. I have completely bought in with my employer because it's as close to an entrepreneurial atmosphere that you can get. I own the marketing graphics department and I'm tasked with planning and initiating campaigns. Thank you for the 48 marketing tips. It's totally fun. And I want to be a catalyst for change and growth within the company. I guess my question is, how can I position myself to continue as a staff member by working remotely, utilizing today's technology? And since I'll be working remotely, do I ask for reimbursement for internet and cell phone use? Thanks for your wisdom, Dan. Well, Heather, yes, it sounds like you are in a perfect position to join the other 44 million people who now telecommute or are what we call distributed workers. So it's not uncommon at all to work for a company and only that company, but never show up under their roof. And especially with what you're talking about, where you're putting together new marketing campaigns and doing the graphics work. Yeah, there's, that's very portable. You can do that living in another state, really not a big deal at all. As long as the people agree to that, the people that you're working for there, then Here's another response. Should you ask for reimbursement for internet and cell phone use? No, 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 no. Please don't ask for reimbursement for that. I mean, those things are meaningless today. And to ask for that would make me think you're nitpicking and not seeing the big picture. Negotiate an arrangement where those tiny costs are totally absorbed into your bigger agreement. And look to be paid for 
projects, not your time. Now, see, the way, even asking that question makes me think that, you know, you're probably being paid, you know, $18 an hour for your time. So if you add to that, then your own personal internet cost, using your own computer and your own cell phone to make contacts. Yeah, there's little incremental increases there in your, and, and reduction in your bottom line, but get away from working by the hour. I mean, working by the hour and working remotely is a challenge. As it is now, you're working for this company, you show up at eight o'clock and leave at five. They know you're sitting there at your cubicle. Now you could be surfing the internet or putting things on eBay or updating your Facebook status. You know, it may be harder for them to track that, but really they know you're there in your seat and they're going to pay you for those eight hours that you were there. If they agree to allow you to work from home in another state, they aren't going to have that kind of physical observation of what you're doing. So they're just going to have to trust you that you are in fact working a much more reasonable way to structure your work then is to be paid for the project rather than by the hour. So if you have a new marketing campaign, they may say, okay, this is a $4,500 campaign. We budgeted $4,500 for your work on that. Fantastic. That's what you want. So they say, okay, I'm on it. Now, whether it takes you one week or four weeks is entirely up to you. You're being paid by the project, but structure your work in that way. And then these little penny things like internet use and cell phone use are just part of you working more independently, which is exactly what you're describing. You're moving toward working more independently, which is an advantage for both you and the company. Congratulations on doing that. Sounds like you're right on track. Well, Dan from Texas says, thanks for your insight. I've been listening to your podcast for a few weeks. I heard about you on Andy Traub's Lynchpin podcast. Appreciated what you had to say. I'm pursuing a college degree in the organizational leadership management field. I love studying management, working through its principles in real life leadership situations. Management is a broad field with a variety of specialties. Is there any specific emphasis in this field you would recommend that I study? I want the degree to be as practical and possible to face the challenges of an ever evolving work environment. I'm 29 years old, married, two kids, one on the way. I've been working in adventure programming for the last decade. Well, when you're talking about learning, leadership, organizational management, being in college to get a degree is perfectly fine. I mean, if you are already married with two kids, one on the way, uh, don't dilly dally a lot. I mean, I don't want you uh, sucking up a lot of time and money, you know, sitting in a classroom with people who are 10 years younger than you, you know, to get a degree. So uh, frame that so you get through that quickly. Now, where I'm going with that is because that really isn't going to have a whole lot to do with your success as a professional in organizational leadership or management. And it really isn't. I mean, you want some real work experience. You want to be able to document your skills in ways that go beyond just you got a degree in. I mean, people get a degree in and companies understand you can get a degree in leadership management and know nothing about it. If you just stick around long enough and pay enough tuition fees, you can get that. So it doesn't do a whole lot to position you as an expert. What I would recommend is that you become familiar with leaders in the management leadership arena. People like Stephen Covey and Blaine Lee and John Maxwell and Peter Drucker. I mean, there's a whole host of people read their materials, get familiar with what they're talking about, the trends that they see in organizational leadership today. People like Guy Kawasaki. I mean, there's some real current guys who are consultants, highly paid consultants out here 
And they're highly paid consultants in that arena, not because they got a degree somewhere, but because they really understand what does it take to lead a team effectively today? Get Dave Ramsey's new book, Entree Leadership. I mean, a great source on how to build an organization and do it in a very creative way. Dave has certainly done that. So be very familiar with things like that and be able to speak the language of those current authors and leaders. That'll do a whole lot more to position you as a player than just holding up your diploma somewhere. Adam says, Dan, I was recently, now this is a pretty challenging question here and comes right from the heart of somebody. Adam says, I was recently asked if I would be interested in becoming a deacon at the church where I'm a member. I enjoy teaching Bible classes and helping out in various other ways with the church already. I'm concerned that by accepting the more formal role of deacon, it may cut into the already small amount of time I carve out of my day to work on building up my coaching business. Now listen to this sentence. Adam says, I have a day job, a family with small children, and I'm working to expand my business on the side. I'm not sure what is the best decision. On the one hand, I think God would be pleased if I decide to become a deacon and would be able to serve the church in a more formal way. On the other hand, I really want to transition into full-time self-employment in the next year, doing something I'll have to do. I'm trying to look for an and solution in this case, rather than an either or. I'm just concerned that deacon responsibilities would strain the other priorities in my life right now. I appreciate your counsel on this decision. I need to make thanks for all you do. I'll be attending the Coaching with Excellence event in May. Really looking forward to meeting you and getting some more ideas about how to launch into a coaching business full-time. Well, Adam, delighted that you're coming to the Coaching with Excellence event in May, and we will definitely help you frame this, what you're doing, and help you make this transition as quickly as possible. As far as your question, should you be a deacon? There's not one right answer to this. You need to look at your current commitments. I mean, saying that you have a full-time job, small children, you're growing your own business, be realistic about the time that you have. Start with 168 hours. I mean, that's what we all have in the course of a week. Then reduce that 168 with your current commitments. Be realistic about what being a deacon would require. Let's just say that you would tithe your time. So if you work 40 hours a week, you'll be available four hours a week in your role as a deacon. What you absolutely cannot do is have just an open-ended availability as a deacon. I mean, I don't know what that means in your church. I've seen uh, churches, though, absolutely use people up, burn them up, burn them out and spit them out as a deacon because they expect them to be available 30, 40 hours a week. Anything that came up or you're assigned to these 100 families and, you know, anytime there's an issue with any of them, teenager comes home late at night, boom, we want them to call you. Somebody struggling in their work, we want them to call you. Somebody has an addiction problem, marriage struggling, I mean, if that's what's going to be expected of you, then I would say you cannot do that right now. I think you're trying to do an awful lot right now. Now we go through seasons in our lives. And if you say no to this now, it doesn't mean that you're saying no forever, but it means that in light of what you are trying to accomplish right now, that you need to put that on hold. I mean, oftentimes Deacon is a role that where they really tap somebody who's a little older and more mature in the life of the church anyway. And you say, well, I'll be available five years from now, but not right now. Now being a deacon see, is not more godly than being a wonderful dad and a great employee and an outstanding coach. I mean, those are all ways to be a good steward of your talents and activities. And those are all things that will be pleasing to God. I don't think God would be more pleased if you 
or a deacon than if you do with excellence the things you're already doing. I don't think it's a matter of more or less there. And I also think he would be less pleased if you dilute your time that's available in being an effective dad and husband that you want to be. So you can't compromise those. If you're going to add this on, you have to look at what are you going to stop doing that you're already doing. And there may not be enough margin in your life to find something that you can stop right now. Well, let me grab a couple more here. Donna from South Carolina says, I'm 36 years old. I've been unemployed for five years. I'm currently in college to earn my bachelor's degree. I already have three associate's degrees. I just feel completely lost. I know that I like being creative and I like helping others. I have applied everywhere in my area for the last five years and received only three job offers over that time that were not a fit for me anyway, for different reasons. I just want to live the authentic life that God wants for me to live, but I don't know what that is and how to get started. I feel stagnant pressured to go into a popular field as I've been unemployed for so long. I'm thinking of withdrawing from my current school to attend school to do nursing where there seem to be many more jobs. Wow. You are in a tough situation here, Donna. I do not want you to change your area of study because you think there are more jobs in another area. That's a very poor reason to change or to choose an area of study. It has to be something that draws on your natural talent and your passion. You can't be taught to be passionate. You can only be taught information and knowledge. So you can learn about nursing, but if that's not something that really engages you that you're passionate about, you're going to be an average nurse. Passion goes far beyond knowledge and information. Now here's my challenge to you too. If you already have three associates degrees, I question why you're in college at all. It sounds like you're using college as a convenient, socially acceptable way to avoid the hard reality of the workplace you know, it's out here in the hard workplace that you're likely to get more clarity about what you're a candidate for. Being in college is a really expensive and time-consuming way to figure out what you want to do. I mean, stop looking outward for the insights you need. I mean, draw that proverbial line in the sand. Look inward first. And I tell people 85% of the process of having the confidence of proper direction in your career comes from looking inward What are your unique skills and abilities, your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, and passions? It's from knowing those and knowing those clearly that you can then create a focus that'll translate into meaningful, purposeful work. But don't get the cart before the horse here. Don't go start changing, chasing some career area because you hear there's more jobs there. No, this is a, this is a long-term process. And I question uh, you being in college for a fourth degree. I mean, that just uh, is not a good pattern. You have to recognize there's a continuing problem here. And I don't think college is a place where you're going to get the clarity that you need. And you're wasting a lot of valuable time and money being there. Get out here, get in the game, but be committed over the next 30 days. Take that introspective look, looking at yourself, identifying what's unique about you. I mean, get the advice and opinion of other people if you need to, but look at yourself. You've got enough experience at this point, you know, 36 years old, enough life experience to get clarity on those things. What's unique about you. And then even if it's not totally definitive, which it will not be, we're too individualized as people, but just decide this is what I'm going to focus on. This is what I'm going to do. 
But if you've got three degrees, you've been looking for jobs for five years and only had three offers, it's not because you're in the wrong field. It's not because the economy is bad or we're in a recession. You need to look in the mirror, take a hard look at that person, have a discussion with that person and say, what is it about me that makes people unsure that they even want me on their team? What do I need to be so passionate about that it lets them know this is something I really want to do? That's how you make yourself a top candidate. That's how you want people to make you want them or want you on their team. That's what you're looking for. Well, this is Dan Miller in the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Again, we welcome your questions. Just go to the podcast link at 48days.com. Thanks for being involved in the growing community. Check out the action at 48days.net. 48days.com. We've got a lot of resources for you. Got some exciting new live events coming up here. We'd love to meet you personally, but we just want to link arms with you as you are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Have a wonderful week.